The pilot-wingman relationship has shown me that to achieve success, it is critical to force multiply. The process by which a capability, when added to and employed by a combat force, significantly increases the combat potential of that force and therefore enhances the probability of successful mission accomplishment. Simply put, your family, marriage, faith, friends, physical well-being, and professional success culminate to form your life mission. And for that mission to be successful, you can't do it alone. This is the B1 Change 1 podcast, where our mission is to help listeners to find values, practice integrity, and inspire change. Our vision is to mentor men and empower them to achieve more by taking responsibility for shaping their own lives. He's Cass, an evolving man who has been shaped by adversity and continues to grow through his imperfections. And he's Roscoe, an imperfect work in progress that tries to suck less every day. Between us, we have over 40 years of Air Force fighter pilot experience with countless hours as trainers, instructors, and mentors. Join us and learn to take responsibility for your own life as we dive into subjects from leadership to resilience to vulnerability. Be the one who changes their course. Be decisive, driven, and purposeful. Set the example for others. Lead. We wish we'd had this show when we were younger men. Be the one. So in the spirit of authenticity, I don't share these show openers with Cass. I, I come up with these during the week. And uh, Cass is kind of the big brain of the group, and I'm more of no, the creative, <laughs> more of the creative. But Roscoe side of is it. more so, creative. Than so, me. I, so I try to I try to weave in a little creativity in the way that we're going to open and present some of these heavier topics. All right, today's topic's going to get a little. It, it might get a little deep. I'll try to bring levity to it. So, in order to to elicit maybe authentic reaction and real reaction, I don't I don't share these with you. So, today we're talking about values, personal values that absolutely bleed over into professional values. And I was just kind of brainstorming on how I can, how I can use a real world example or, or maybe, you know, a fictional example. And, and we talked about a few things and then I came up with this one. So in order to segue into our conversation about values, I want to take us all the way back to the mid 1760s. Okay. All right. Cass is a poli-sci major, so he's getting a little chubby right now because we're going to talk about American history. Summer of 1765, the Stamp Act and the Sugar Act have been passed about a year ago, and there's a lot of depth to go into on the Stamp Act and Sugar Act, but basically this is where a real conversation started talking or started happening in the smaller circles about taxation without representation, Okay. The correspondence committees were formal committees who were beginning to take formal protest actions against the British government who was basically occupying the 13 colonies at this point. The Sons of Liberty actually performed one of the first overt hostile acts against the British when they went to the stamp tax collector, uh, went to his his residence and they had what was called the Liberty tree was out front it's since been chopped down. The British got rid of that, but they hung an effigy of him up and they, they hung him, they stomped it, they burned it and they decapitated it. And it was pretty awesome. Right. It's very, um, very metaphorical. And, and just, uh, it was a, it was an outright protest to what's going on there. All right. So fast forward, that was in, 
1765. So fast forward to 1770. That was the Boston Massacre, Mm -hmm. which really wasn't a massacre at all. There were two people killed. And it was basically a a group of colonists who are harassing a couple of young British soldiers, and they ended up firing on the crowd. But propaganda, and I think John Adams was one of the leading guys who got in there and and started really propagandizing this whole thing, right? Oh, the Boston Massacre. All right, so fast forward a little bit more, 1773, Boston Tea Party, which was a pretty cool, it was a pretty cool protest just on the basis of what it was because the British, man, they really valued their tea. Yeah. Right. Tea time is, (laughs) is like holy time for them. So, you know, egg in the face of those guys, they're going to go dump all their tea in the, in the, um, in the harbor. harbor. And it would have been perfect had they not dressed up as native Americans doing it. If they would have went out there as, you know, we're colonialist and and we're going to do this. So, yeah. Okay. A little bit of a ruse, but so here we go. 1775, Lexington conquered. First shots of the war. Nobody knows who shot first, but it's a shot heard around the world. And that's where really the war kicked off. 1776, March 1776, Siege of Boston. George Washington, or as I call him, Old Wooden Teeth. Old Wooden Teeth goes in there and he takes over Boston. Fast forward, that was in March 76. So then in July 2nd, 1776, what happened? July, July 2nd, 1776 was when they voted for independence. Now, I think we have to just take a, fa- a pause for a second and realize that this is high treason against the king. Yeah. This is, this is punishable by death, having these conversations and, and this outright... Yeah, taking like, these actions. We're done, dude. Yeah. And I, I love this, uh, this quote by Richard Henry Lee. He was from Virginia, one of the uh, 56 delegates there in the Continental Congress. He says, these United Colonies are, and of right ought to be, free and independent states. Like, here it is, motherfucker. We're done. Yeah. Right? Cool. So that was on July 2nd, where they voted for independence. July 4th is when they signed, signed. the Declaration of Independence. That's why we cel- uh, celebrate July 4th. And kind of funny, uh, only only 45 of the delegates signed on the 4th. The rest of them signed in August. That was kind of cool. All right, so that was July 2nd, July 4th. Eight days later, July 12th. Do you know what happened? No. New York City fell. The British had sent over their armada 140 ships, 4,000 troops, and they started shelling New York City. So eight days after we stood up to the man, yeah. we just got our ass handed to us. Yeah. Could you oh. imagine that, like the shelling of New York City? Dude, <laughs> fun fact, man. I was, I was, when I was researching some of this stuff, New York City at the time, 20,000 people. Yeah, it wasn't that big. 20,000 people, man. There's more people that go to high school football games around here yeah. on the weekend. And then kind of, you know, then there was Valley Forge and, and uh, you know, George Washington leading across the Delaware River and, and taking over the Hessian or beating the Hessians at Trenton and all this. There's so many good stories that come out. Benedict Arnold, we can do a whole end episode on Benedict Arnold and his failure as a man because of his pride and his insecurity and, and his jealousy and his yeah. little daddy issues and all that shit. But then you get down to 1781, old wooden teeth. He beats Cornwallis at Yorktown. And... The fun part about that one is not that, you know, one side beat the other. It's why. Cornwallis had been asking General William Howe, who was the British Army, the the head dude. And he's up in New York City. And this guy's been, he's been living this lavish lifestyle on the British dime for a few years now up in New York City. His wife is over in England, but he's got him a cool colonial 
mistress over here in New York City. And Cornwallis keeps asking him for support. He says, dude, send me more troops. I need more troops. I need more people to do this. And he goes, I'll get to it. I'll get Dad, Don't worry about it. I'll get to it. Well, then Cornwallis gets his ass handed to him, ironically, as General Howe is cruising down the coast to go help him out. Sorry, dude. Too little, too late, right? Yeah. And then the war is not officially over. That was in 1781. The war is not officially over until 1783 with the Treaty of Paris. So I think there's a lot of really good, we can draw some really good lines between, we can connect a lot of dots here between the values that either side held through a lot of these events and why one side prevailed over the other. And, and I know we're, we're kind of making this very, it's just, this is just top level stuff. This goes a lot deeper, right? But this was, this was almost 20 years Almost twenty years that these guys were able to toe the line. Yeah. What made them do that? Yeah. Well, what do you think it was? I think it was their core values. And what they, do you think those core they, values were? They knew. Well, one of them was independence, yeah. and we ain't gonna be fucked with liberty. But, yeah. So I think that they just had such a deep rooted understanding of what they stood for, and they knew exactly what they wanted, and they went for it. And then you know, it's it's kind of you know, an important footnote may be that the general population of the colonies at that point, about 20% were loyalists to the king and about 40% were colonialists who are kind of on this, on this visionary thing of, of independence. But there were also, what, 40% left over that were just kind of like, dude, I just want to farm and, and I just want my cabbage. Like, yeah. Can you make my cabbage better? I want to raise my kids. Yeah. yeah. So, so getting into the discussion about values, I think that, I think there's definitely some, well, I think they were also unified around a common enemy, right? Which always helps. Yeah. That's what keeps something like that together for as long as it goes. Plus, you got to have some wins here and there. If you're just getting loss after loss after loss, then people are going to lose interest real fast. It was pretty um, ugly. It was, especially at the it was beginning. Ugly. But a common enemy as well, I think, helps some of those things manifest to a certain extent. So let's bring this back to you and I sitting across the table from each other. Okay. And... We're talking about common enemy. We're talking about shared values. We're talking about know, knowing yourself, yeah, you know, and all those things. And let's take it to present time. Well, who's the enemy? As we're talking about this kind of stuff, it's all it's yeah, all between well, your ears. Common enemy is you. It's all between your ears, that's man. Right? Yeah, you got to conquer your that enemy. Dude. That's exactly, and that's what this is about. Yeah. This is about conquering that dude. Whether it's the ego, the the fear, the previous messaging that you've had in your life that you're not good enough, whatever that is, that's what this is about. This is about yeah. overcoming those things. Yeah. So this episode, we we kind of agreed was going to be defining values and no kidding getting down into the nuts and bolts of it. So right out the gate, we have to, what are values? Yeah, well, there's a couple of different definitions. Webster's just defines values as principles or ideals considered worthwhile or desirable. I think that's a little vague. Mark Manson, who you really like that wrote The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, says that they are the ideals that we hold dear and that we use to make decisions about how to live our lives. Mm -hmm. And he suggests that we should choose values that are important enough to us that we're willing to endure pain and discomfort in order to uphold them. Goes back to your example, right? Yeah. A lot of pain and discomfort in that. For sure. In other words, we should choose our values based on what we're willing to struggle for rather than what makes us feel good in the moment, right? It's not necessarily, you're going to make some hard decisions, you're going to lose some relationships once you do this stuff for yourself too, to a certain extent and start walking in those things. And so it's not always necessarily easy. 
And then uh, Brene Brown, who I've really liked her work in a lot of this stuff around values, says that their principles are standards of behaviors, which she also says are a way of being or believing that we hold most important. So the kind of broad theme through all that is they're, you know, the things that are important enough to us that you're willing to uphold them regardless of the situation or the circumstances or the relative outcomes from those decisions, right? And that's where the tough part of it comes in. Yeah, I took a a couple of laps around the Google machine and and went to a few philosophy and psychology websites, some some university-type websites, uh, Stanford and, and places like that. And one thing that I... I thought was interesting was they made a clear distinction between values and virtues. And just something that I wrote down was values are subjective, meaning they're interpreted by the individual. They are like, like the value individualistic. Yeah, exactly. Whereas virtues are more universally accepted as good things. Some of the examples that they gave was like honesty. Honesty is generally accepted as being good. Yeah. You know, and, and then the Stoics, they had their four, core virtues as they called them and that was wisdom justice moderation and courage yeah now i think for the purpose of this discussion we can probably just throw a blanket over it and not really get down into that grit yeah that that level of detail and we'll just say we're just going to throw a value or throw throw a blanket over and call it virtues for just for discussion's sake is that fair virtues or values Call it values. Sorry, I, I, I fucked that whole thing up. Yeah, values. Um, this is not defining your virtues. Yeah, this, is, virtues this is values. Yeah, virtues are kind of overarching things like that that are usually culturally or morally acceptable. Um, Immanuel Kant, who's another great philosopher, calls them ethos. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're undeniable truths yeah. is what some people call them. There's, um, there's some definitions. There's some wordsmithing around values, sure. virtues, and ethics. But this isn't yeah. this isn't virtues. This is a discussion about values, and values are unique and are going to reflect things that are important to whatever individual is going through this process. That's right. right. Yeah, it's, it's so, all about you. And I want to go back to what you said because I don't think that there's a separation between personal and professional values. No, I, I don't either. I okay. think they. I think they. Um, I, th- I don't think you can have one without the other. Yeah. Well, uh, unless you're Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, maybe. Yeah, and I think they're one and the same. I think the way yeah. that you show up professionally is also the way that you show up personally, right? Should like, be. They should be. Yeah. Yeah. Should be. Which always cracks me up because all these organizations, like we talked about in self inspection, have these value systems. I mean, we grew up in yeah. you know, excellence, uh, <laughs> service for been a minute, huh? yeah, integrity, <laughs> all of that stuff, right? And it's like, okay, that's great, but what does that really mean? So. Yeah, well, well, a good example, though, is you and I, uh, we, we were kind of joking offline about having our alter ego, yeah. Cass and Roscoe versus yeah. Jason and Paul, right? So I'm, I'm Paul at the house with my wife and my kids, and then I go to work, and I put my cape on, and I'm Roscoe for 12 hours. Yeah. And then I take my cape off, and I go back home. But that doesn't mean that I'm a different person, necessarily. No. You know, I've got this character of myself where I'm a zipper-suited sun god, yeah. you know, flying away to get my air medal. Well, but I'm still the same person. Yeah, and it doesn't mean that you don't have to show up differently in different situations, right? Or environments, right? Like there's some things that I do at home that I wouldn't do when I'm at work and vice versa, probably. But that value system applies across both for how we show up and how we operate Mm -hmm. and the decisions that we make, if that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. So with the definition thrown out there, and and, let me just add one other thing to Roscoe is please remember too that values don't have to be just something that you're doing. You can have values that you're aspiring to. So as you do this work, there may be a value that really resonates with you 
and maybe you're just not there yet and that's okay too right there can yeah. be things that you aspire to as well that's that's part of that maturity thing you know like having the conversation with the 18 year olds versus the 25 year olds is going to be a different conversation you're just you're just on a different timeline a different maturity you you know by the time you're 25 you probably have worked a job for a long time you've Maybe you have a significant other and those things are going to steer you in a direction that are going to help you start to define those things. Yeah. And, and let's not, let's not discount the idea that there may be some type of, some type of event, some type of significant event that can alter that. Like, yeah, for sure. I mean, just have you spin on a dime and go, you know what? I thought I valued this. It turns out I don't, I got to start seeking yeah. other things. And this is why I think it's important to have role models. Out there, yeah. Well, and an example is that of that is as you go through this process, maybe you determine that faith is a value for you, but maybe you're a control freak. Well, guess what? That's an aspiring value because you're going to have to learn how to give up some control. That's true. That's and true. trust. Talking to, coming from a guy who's got severe OCD over here. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but you are. You're going to have to learn how to give up some of that control and learn to trust the process a yeah. little bit if that's really one of your core values. Does that make sense? Well, and and you know, maybe you wrote faith down and you thought about it and it looked good on paper, but maybe it's not. Yeah, maybe it's. Yeah, not. Maybe you need to dig a little bit deeper. In the previous episode, you talked about peeling the onion back. Maybe you need to go another layer and. Maybe faith isn't it. Maybe it's something more underlying than that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I was I was reading this book. It's called Success is a Choice by Rick Pitino. He's a legendary basketball coach. And he has a whole chapter in there about role models and selecting your role models. And I kind of look at values kind of almost like the same way. If you're a young man and you're you're trying to figure it out because this is a this is a testing process. You're going to be poking and, and you're going to be trying different things and you don't have to pick one person and model him and emulate him. You know, so many imitation is the greatest form of flattery. Yeah. Okay. I get it. But maybe I don't like everything about that guy. Yeah. How, how many commanders did you work for? Oh, You're yeah. like, man, I really like the no, way he did this, can, but I really hate the way yeah, he did that. You can, you can pick parts and pieces. Yeah. And that's why I kind of think if you just make this analogy in your brain about, man, I'm going to build the perfect superhero. Like, what would that guy look like? Man, I'm going to take the speed of Flash, and I'm going to take the laser eyes of Superman. And and you you start to put all these pieces together, and you can do the same thing with your mentors and your role models. Yeah, for sure. So maybe let's just take a few minutes and just talk just real generally and quickly about kind of the process to go through if this is something that you want to attempt to do and kind of how to think about it and how to go through it. And then let's talk about how we've gotten to what ours are. Yeah, and we'll so, go from there. So if I'm a young man, let's call me 24, I have a fiancé, and I'm thinking about trying to define my values so that I can get married and lead my family from a position of example. What's my first step? Well, I'll tell you, so this is the process that I've used. And one thing that you can do is if you're not even sure, like, what are what are the values that are available out there? Well, there's a ton of them, right? I mean, they can be a, a bunch of different things. But if you Google Brene Brown list of values, you'll see a, a form come up under Dare to Lead. Mm-hmm. And it's a ton of stuff, man. She's got a bunch of them listed here. Accountability, achievement, fairness, faith, family, financial stability, leisure, love, loyalty, teamwork, tradition, travel, truth, understanding, wisdom. There's all kinds of them. Yeah. And what I would suggest is go through the list and pick 10 or 15 mm-hmm. that, kind of, that you think resonate with you. And then out of those 10 or 15, pick two or three that are kind of like the overarching values that you think you have that yeah. the rest of those things been under. Because what I found in doing this for myself is that there's usually two or three. If you get more than that, then if you have too many, then... If you go, oh, these are my 15 values, right? You're never going to get from here to there. 
makes it more it difficult just for sure. the water, right? Yeah. So pick two or three that the other one's been into. And really what, what you'll find is the ones that fall underneath those are probably more skills that you have or skills that you are attaining to that make you fall in line with those kind of core values, if that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. There's there's a lot of websites out there that have very similar sure that's just one forms that I list and everything and and so I pulled this off and uh, I don't even remember where I got this but um, this one is it's a lot of the same in fact they're, yeah I'm sure they're they, the same very yeah they're similar. they're all overlap but the way that he he actually this person categorized them so he has your grounding ones like your basic like if you go to Maslow's hierarchy of needs you know this is the basic tools that you have to have to survive as a human being, right? So there's things like affection and curiosity and food and shelter and kindness and junk like that. And then he goes into family and he has a whole bunch listed management and this is personal management. He has a bunch listed. So I like the way that he kind of, he took those, he took that same list, but he kind of, he already kind of categorized them for you. So maybe you can go through and pick one or two out of each category and then start to neck that down a little bit. Just another, just another technique. No, that's great. So yeah, that's kind of the way that you want to go about this process. So, and then again, like we said, you know, just realize that this is very individualistic. Values are unique to the individual and it can be a difficult process to really kind of think and nug through this. So give yourself some time to go through it. Be kind to yourself in the process. Be patient with yourself in the process and just spend the mental energy because it's, let's just be honest, it's a bit of a pain in the ass to go through this. And the other thing that I'll say is you can't, if you can't name a value, you can't live it, right? These have to be things that are pertinent, right? These have to be things that have some kind of a meaning or resonance with you. You have to be able to take that value and perform an action. Yes. You have to be able to That aligns to that value. Exactly. So, because if you're just going to go, oh, well, these are my values and profess that those are your values, but there's no action or there's no practice that goes behind those things, then this is, you're wasting your time on the exercise. It'll, it'll be evident to you once you start it takes so much humility and honesty with yourself to be able to do these things but if you put loyalty and trust as one of your values and then you turn around and you talk shit about your neighbors yeah you know you can definitely make an argument that really you probably don't value that as much yeah. as you thought you did or if you put growth as one of your values like maybe personal growth is a value for you but you spend all your time reading sci-fi yeah maybe well, that's not maybe it, growth is your value but maybe there's a behavior you have that isn't in alignment with it Right. Because let's be honest, reading personal growth books probably isn't as much fun as reading sci-fi. Right. So now, dude, there are some good life lessons to take away from Star Wars. I'm just saying. Well, there is. Yeah, Don't get me wrong, because I love sci-fi and I read it all the time. But yeah, I was I was a Star Star Wars fan back in the day. And and I just I, I didn't really understand what that story meant until I was much older and and was able to, you know, with maturity and experience, able to look back on it and go, wow, this is a this is a very interesting character arc of good versus bad and, and just a whole bunch of different things in there. And you want to, you want a good values exercise, go watch star Wars and pick out the different values of some of the characters. Yeah. Well, we're going to do that with top gun here yeah. uh, pretty soon too. And kind of yeah. go through that, but yeah. And then just realize that this isn't about an like defining your values for yourself. Isn't an exercise in finding perfection somehow. This isn't an exercise in, in becoming a perfect person. Because there's a big difference between, in my mind, there's a big difference between striving towards excellence or trying to be excellent and perfection. You're never going to get perfection. But you can figure out what those values are and then learn how to make really good decisions and walk through life with a lot of integrity because you're aligned with that value system for yourself. Yeah, Katie and I were talking the other day in the living room and 
I think she had just read something very similar to what you just said, and she was talking about aiming for perfection or trying to be perfect. Like, it's unattainable. You're not going to be perfect, bro. And I always taught people, like, when I was coaching or, or you know, even to my kids, I say, hey, you can aim for perfection. That's a, I think it's a good target to aim for, but you accept excellence. And the example that I used to use with my kids was if you go into every exam trying to make 100 on the test and you make a 98, that's still pretty damn good. Yeah, man. that's valid. Like if you if you try to like I'm doing this this uh, this challenge with with Katie, and if I only lose two days a month, that means I won 28 days out of that month, man. Yeah. I fucking crushed it. Yeah, for sure. Like that's really good. Now you know, in the spirit of the challenge, it needs to be 100. percent But sure, but, but that's, that's the self compassion piece, right? That's a whole different thing. That's just reality. Yeah, it's just, you know, but so when you're aiming for perfection, a a good friend of mine, Mike Capuzzi, owns this business up in Philly, and and he and I were brainstorming some stuff one day, and he said, he said, dude, you don't have to always shoot for the moon if you only have to hit the ceiling. And that really resonated with me. Like, man, I'm trying to hit home runs and grand slams here when really all I need is a bunt base hit. Yeah. Yeah, you see it in sports all the time. Yeah, guys swinging for the fences when all they need to do is lay down the bunt to score the winning run. That's it, man. All you need is one. Yeah. So, right, so go ahead. No, I was just going to say, so what? let's talk about values, man. What are yours? Yeah. What well, do you think your big ones are? Well, so I, I wanted to go all, I wanted to go back and show kind of the the trajectory of how some of these things can change too. Sure. You know? so, so if you're a young man, like, and I'll, I'll use myself as an example in this. When I went to college the first time, I joined a fraternity. And I remember sitting, I, w- I was going through the pledging process at some point. I don't remember exactly when it was, but I remember sitting with the president of the fraternity I mean, and this guy was like 22, 23 years old. So right. he's not like a grown up or anything, yeah. but you know, he's one of us. I think he was a senior in college, but he asked me, he said, Hey man, what do you want to get out of this fraternity in the next, you know, four years to life? Did you say free bear? <laughs> no, my answer was, I want to be the president of this fraternity. Now let's think about that for a second. What do you think my motivations were for that? Power, recognition, influence. Yeah. I thought that I needed to be the guy standing up in the meetings with the gavel for that that accolade to have that that positive affirmation that I had become someone. And that that didn't win me a lot of friends. Yeah. At the time. It takes me a lot of reflection and a lot of a lot of humility to be able to say this, but I was a I was a shitty person back then because I was driven by the wrong things. And I think had I had I had a better mentor maybe in my adolescence, maybe I could have, I don't know, reshaped those a little bit. So a couple of years go by, I joined the military. We talked about this in the last episode where the military really doesn't necessarily give you values. It gives you tools to be able to execute some values. Yeah. The discipline, things like that. Gives Mental you those skills. Yeah. Well, I got married, had some kids. That reshaped my values. And mm-hmm. for a lot of years, family and security of that family was what drove a lot of the things that I did. And and underneath that was kind of career progression because I viewed my role as, as the head of the family as kind of the protector and the provider uh, of those guys. Then the military was over for me, and I entered this new chapter of my life. And for the last couple of years, I've kind of been on this rediscovery of who is Roscoe? You know, who, who am I? What do I stand for? What do I, what does it really mean? Cause the kids are gone. I've done my job. I've, I've, I'm kicking them out of the nest now and it's just me and Katie. So 
I mean, I can't really lean into that family thing too much anymore because they're going to write their own narratives of life. Sure. So I came up with freedom, effort, and loyalty. And as I dug into those, I thought that those very nicely described and defined almost every action that I do. Underneath each of those three, for example, loyalty, I put relationships under loyalty. And then I I further broke the relationships into two, my family relationships and then my society relationship, my social relationships. And then there's trust, there's commitment, there's connection, the, the very human basic need of connection. All that goes into loyalty for me. Effort is what drives me to work hard and not suck and have discipline and challenge my mental toughness, and all that goes into effort. And And I don't think that I always have to be the best at something, but I can always work hard at it. And that's kind of where I came up with those three. So, where's, so where does freedom lie? Freedom is, freedom is what gives me the room to maneuver to chase my purpose. And and I've, I've really kind of gotten down into what I believe my purpose is, is passing these lessons learned. I have a voice for it. I have a platform for it. And I have a calling for it to pass on these lessons learned to this younger generation. Underneath that is my profession. My profession affords me a lot of free time and a lot of time to sit and think and write notes and it pays well. So all of those things give me freedom to pursue these things. If I want to invest in this passion, if I want to start a group, if I want to write another book, if I, you know, if I want to start this podcast, all those things to me kind of fall under freedom. And somebody will say, well, if you're working a job, if you're working a corporate job, then you're not really free. Well, you don't understand, dude, that what I believe my, my passion is teaching and mentoring people. And I get to do that at my job every day. I get to go to, I, I don't say I have to go to work. I get to go to work and teach and I get to see that aha moment. So while I'm getting paid, I'm also pursuing my passion. And, sure. and to me, that all falls under freedom. So let me ask you a question around that though. So if the passion is mentorship, then why is it mentorship, the value? And then freedom is one of the subsets of that that you use to be able to yeah. have that flexibility, time, money, whatever that is for you to do those things. I I think it could be. I mean, if I wanted to take freedom another step layer or step, step further, I think there's layers to just the word freedom. Even there's social freedom, there's financial freedom, there's a relational freedom, you know, all these things like Katie and I enjoy a very fun relationship where we love being together. We each other's best friends, but at the same time, we're very independent and, and we don't mind going our separate ways and sitting in opposite rooms of each other and, and your financial freedom, I think, stems from a lot of the things that I already listed there. The, all of these things, and one of the things that I would tell uh, a young man who's maybe trying to start out with this is it's okay if your values interlace with each other, too. Because oh, effort, yeah, there'd be commonality, effort potentially. definitely lends into loyalty and into freedom. And yeah. loyalty lends into effort. And, and you know, so these things kind of intertwine with each other. They totally do. Yeah. Yeah. So effort... When you were describing effort to me, the, the word that came back to me a bunch was growth, right? Like you're, you're really invested in growth personally, professionally. Yeah, but that's not standalone, though. I mean, that's one facet of it for sure. But, but is that what um, drives you? I don't think that I would say that growth is what drives me. Okay. Not necessarily. So I, what, is, what does drive you? 
I think that it's the idea that I can I can put forth effort to achieve whatever I set my mind to. And I'll use this podcast as an example. Dude, I didn't know shit about making websites. Yeah. I didn't know shit about setting up all this technical crap. Yeah. But I can work hard and try to figure it out. Yeah, for sure. And and in my opinion, I think we made a pretty kick-ass website. You've done very well. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, but it took a lot of effort. It yeah, did. it was yeah, for you sure. know, I spent a lot of time reading and, and researching and, and just setting up the equipment and, and all that kind of stuff, man. I didn't know what the hell I was getting into. You're like, hey, let's start start a podcast and great. Yeah, and I'm not well, trying to nitpick you, man. I'm just No, you I'm can't. Just, Absolutely. I'm just going through. I'm trying to what I'm trying to do with the questions that I'm asking you is lend some some idea to the thought exercise mm-hmm. that I hope we're, folks will go through as they do illustrating this, the right? process, right? That's because all. you know, it sounds like what you've done is you've kind of found those core things that you think define you yeah. as a person. But then I think you would also argue that those three things are kind of you at your best when you have the freedom, when you're given the effort. I think so. Um, and when you show up that way in life, when you're loyal with the effort and you have the freedom to maneuver, yeah. that's how you can show up the best. I think, I think that's yourself. one way to say it. I think another way to say it is these are the things that I'm striving for. Yeah. Um, this is the carrot that I'm chasing, like the loyalty piece of it. There's so many things that could fall underneath that. And, and we were just talking earlier about if you have 15 different values, then you probably need to narrow that down a little bit. But that's not to say that your values don't have sub-values or, or other qualifiers underneath that. No, there's like, definitely going to be things that yeah. bend underneath them. Like some people will say relationships. Okay, what types of relationships? Yeah. You know, you and the dog or you and your wife? Because yeah. those are different. You know sure. what I mean? So what is it that you value about that? Well, commitment. You know, I love when I come home. I got a chapter in my book called Be the Person That Your Dog Thinks You Are. So when you come home every day, your dog thinks that you're the best person in the world, right? He yeah. doesn't know that you had a bad day. Yeah. He just thinks you're awesome. So, all right, I was on the hot seat. No, for a that's while. okay. I was just, I would let me ask you one last question yeah, and then we'll, we'll flip the script. So, with those three values, how do you use those as a filter? Do you have an example maybe of when you've used those when you've been faced with hard decisions? Well, um, the effort piece is, is kind of easy. Sometimes you just have to put your head down and go left foot, right foot. Yeah. And keep moving forward. Yep. Right. And, and embrace the suck. It, hundred percent, man. I got a lot of good stories about oh, that. Don't I mean, we I, both? <laughs> I, wrote, I wrote a whole book on it. It's yeah. called no new lessons. Go to my website and check it out. But yeah, I mean, at the end of that, that was a battle of wills. You yeah. know, we were determined to make a goal. We made the goal and then we're like, shit, now we got to go back, you know, in 25 miles mucking through Alaska, that last 10 miles, man, that was just, that was just grit and effort at the end of that. But you know what, when you, when you set a goal out in front of you, regardless of what that goal is, you're going to have to work to get it. Yeah. Like we're sitting here talking about values and we've already said a million times, you're going to have to work at this. And that all to me comes back to effort. And in my next book coming out, the, the really the two keys to life, in my opinion, are just work hard and don't suck. And if you can suck less than you did yesterday and try to maintain that moving the ball a little bit and trying to suck less than you did yesterday, it's going to take a lot of effort to make those things happen but I think you can keep moving forward in life and, and in your terms, you can keep growing or, you know, you can keep aspiring a career ladder or whatever it may be. The pursuit of freedom for me, I've explained to you my happiness bubble where I draw two, two horizontal lines on a piece of paper. On one line is money received. On one line is work performed. And my lifelong goal has to has been to create as much separation between those two lines as I can. Yeah. The least amount of work 
for the most amount of money. And all of that space in the middle, I call happiness. Yeah. And that's a function of freedom. Yeah. To me. So all for that sure. stuff inter- yeah. intertwines. Now, how did I, how did I build that big ass bubble in the middle from effort, putting myself in the right place at the right time, being prepared, taking advantage of opportunity, all these things that we, that we're going to talk about that all. And this is just an example of how the three to me, they just interweave with each other. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Okay. So flipping it back onto you. Yeah. You probably got two really solid ones going to make me look like a, no, like not idiot, at all. So. No. Um, <laughs> Well, if if I go kind of with your example and I talk about my younger self, so integrity has always been an overarching value for me for as far back as I can remember. Some of the skills maybe that been under integrity have adjusted over time, but as an overarching value, integrity has always been there for me. And I know, I know that because I, I have a very strong response. I'll just say when my integrity is ever questioned. Give me an example of a skill that bends under integrity. Accountability. Okay, there you go. Authenticity. Yeah. Uh, I'll go through them. I've got, I've got them all listed. No, this guy's prepared. Integrity is the big one for me. When I was younger, you know, especially when I first got into the Air Force, I think achievement was definitely a value of mine, you know, because I was aspiring to be yeah. a better fighter pilot, to be a flight lead, to be an IP, to go to weapon school, to, to do all those things. Was it the achievement or the recognition of the achievement? Some of it was recognition for me, yeah. but it was really the achievement. You know, I used to always tell people, it wasn't so much recognition for me. Like I realized really early on in our careers that there's only about 20% of the shit you control when you cross the line. So that 20%, you better have the fuck squared away. Yeah. And so I always put a lot of effort into being as good as I possibly could from a tactical standpoint because, dude, I wanted to go home to my wife and kids when it was over. You know, and 9-11 kind of taught me that you never know when the balloon's going to go up. You know, you're sitting there fat, dumb, and happy drinking a Jack and Coke and a debrief, and then the next thing you know, everybody's spinning up for war. That's right. So uh, you got to take advantage of every training opportunity to get better. But I will also say that that piece of me, I didn't always have great balance around. And that's probably because I didn't have a real good grasp on my values fully and mm-hmm. all the things that bend underneath them. Because, you know, is when I was, I would spend a lot of time in the vault studying, you know, the, the bad part about our job is that everything's classified. And so if you want to do any studying, you got to be in the vault and that's not yeah. at home, sitting on your computer with mama watching a show or whatever the case may be. And so, you know, I sacrificed a lot of time at times and probably didn't have the best balance work life yeah. balance for a lot of times in my life. You know, I was, I can remember being a patch man when I came back to uh, Luke here, they hadn't had a weapons officer in two and a half years. I was spending 16 hours a day mm. trying to get that shop in order and get IP squared away and training plans and syllabi. And I mean, I'm going to go a little Simon Sinek on you a little bit and, and ask you the five whys. So why did you do that? Well, I did that because it was my job, uh, and I had a, a real strong desire to make every, try to make everybody around me better. Uh, it was also kind of a critical time back in the F-16 community because we were shifting a, a ton of our tactics to align with how the strikes and the C-model guys were doing things just from an air-to-air perspective and calm because we were starting to focus on multi, multi-function force ops and things like that. So a lot of things were changing with air-to-air game plans, how we were doing ACM, BFM, all that kind of stuff. So there was a lot of questions that a lot of yeah. people had, and there were a lot of people teach, teaching the wrong shit, honestly. That came at a cost, though. Yeah. Yeah, it came at a cost 
personally, you know, just not giving myself the time that I needed to take care of myself, whether that was just the gym or downtime, you mm-hmm. know, my family, not being as present at home for my kids and my first wife at the time, you know, it, there were, there were definitely costs to the, the choices that I made. Yeah. And I just bring that stuff up not to go down a rabbit hole with it, but this is why this is a good exercise to go through because you can, if when you write these things down, you can kind of come back and go, all right, well, are my behaviors really matching this? And is this really yeah. what I want? And am I really in balance? Exactly. And how I'm operating in the world for myself, for my family, for the people around me. Cause I, I'm organized enough that I could have found a way to balance that better. I just didn't. Well, um, yeah, I mean, there's always going to, I think it, you know, when you go through life, there's always going to be that thing out there that, Maybe right now it looks bright and shiny and you want to go chase it, but you don't really understand what the second and third order effects of that yeah, are well, going to be. Yeah, well, and, you know, I was, when I was back at the 62nd, it, I was a one-man weapons officer shop. I didn't really have anybody back there with me. And to be honest with you, that I didn't probably didn't trust anybody to do it, which was an issue that I had to overcome through my career so that I could be a better leader down the road yeah. and let go of the reins a little yeah. bit, right? Yeah, that's tough. Uh, but for me now, the the two big ones that I've been all the rest of my stuff under our integrity and trust. Those are good. So for underneath integrity, kind of the, the sub values, if you want, or the skills that are important to me underneath integrity are accountability. Because I don't think you can walk through life with a lot of integrity. If one, you don't hold yourself accountable, if you don't hold other people accountable, and if you don't allow other people to hold you accountable, I'm a big fan of the bullshit flag. Authenticity. Like I, I want to be very authentic in how I show up competence. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Especially professionally. Um, that was always an overarching one for me. Ethics kind of bends under there for me. I've spent a lot of time thinking about ethics and moral absolutisms and kind of some of the stuff that you were talking about mm-hmm. at the beginning of the podcast. Yeah. Uh, humility is a big piece in that for me. Cause I don't think you can have a great amount of integrity if you're not, if you don't have a great amount of humility because you've got to be open for, to feedback. You got to be open to that accountability mm-hmm. piece and you've got to be humble enough with yourself too, you know, to be yeah. self-reflective and introspective and do all those pieces. Uh, and that kind of rolls into curiosity for me. Right. So one thing that I think Walt Whitman said this, but he said, be curious, not judgmental. I've been judgmental at times in my life. Yeah. Same. Extremely judgmental. Yeah. And as I've gotten older, I've tried to be more curious. You know, I may not agree with you on a specific topic, but I'm going to try to stay or maintain a certain amount of curiosity to at least listen to what you have to say. Yeah. Because I might learn something from it, man. We all have different perspectives. We've all gone, we all view the world through different lenses. And so that's a big part of integrity for me. Yeah. I make a, I I fall into that trap of making a quick judgment on a person. Yeah. Within about 60 seconds, I can tell if I'm going to like you or not. Yeah. It takes a lot on your part to change my mind. Yeah. After that. So same, same kind of conversation there. And then the last one under under integrity for me is growth, growth, kind of growth and learning, if you will. Like I want to, and that's, and that kind of bends with a curiosity piece too. Right. And being, having enough humility to go, I don't really know enough about this to say anything about it. Maybe I should learn more about it. And then trust is probably the other big one for me. And the way that trust shows up for me is in relationships. I try to extend a lot of trust. Uh, I try to give people, uh, especially people that I'm close with, the benefit of the doubt um, and extend trust in relationships. And I try to be a trustful person. Compassion falls under that for me um, and how I show up in relationships and for people. 
because I don't think, I think it's really hard to build trust with other folks if you don't have compassion. Loyalty definitely bends under trust for me. Uh, service. There might have been a time in my life where I thought service was one of my larger values. But it's really about trust. It's really, for me, it's really about, you know, if I trust you or if I want to be in a relationship and show up in that, in that relationship with trust with you, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to afford service to you, right? Like I'm going to show up and I'm, and I'm not going to show up because I'm trying to get something back. I'm going to show up because that's how I want to show up for you. Yeah. You're a friend of mine. I don't need anything back, right? That, that's just how I show up. Uh, reliability. I think it's really hard to manage and maintain trust with somebody if you can't be reliable. Yeah. You know what I mean? Think about it, man. Think of the, tr- I mean, when we first started talking about this podcast, you had a huge trust deficit on your side, <laughs> on, yeah. on your side of the table. Like yep. you asked me three or four times, are you serious about this? I've been burned before. I've had three or four guys that have said that they want to do this. And you know, are, are you sure? Are you yeah. sure? Yeah. You know, when we first started talking timelines for getting the podcast off the ground, you're giving me the side eye going, mm, are you sure? Well, are you serious? So- to be fair. Okay. So I want to, I want to go back to that. And I actually had that written down here where you were talking about trust and you said, I extend a lot of trust to people. And in, in my mind, trust is earned, not given. So I don't, I, it's very hard for me to just blindly trust a person. I need to see action that complements yeah, and maybe I should be a little that. more That's specific. It's not like I just extend a lot of trust yeah. to everybody in my life, right? I mean, at some point you have to, a little bit. You do, you know. but to the people that I'm in relationships with, I extend a lot of trust to. Yeah, I can see that. And, and so far, everyone that you've listed out, I've had in on my list too. I, I'm sitting here going down and going, checking yep. off, okay, there's acceptance, integrity. Um, I had sincerity. Yeah, under, under well, see, and yeah. that's a perfect example of yeah. how we can have – you know, similar things that resonate with us, mm-hmm. but we've been in, in completely different ways, yeah. right? Well, and, it, and that's why this is such a unique and individual process. But that's what makes it, yeah, exactly. That's what makes it the individual thing. And whatever gets you going in that direction that where you can align your actions to that thing, yeah. however you frame that, that's, I think that's probably the end game here, right? Well, it, it exactly is. Because for me, like when we talk about practicing integrity, this is it. Practicing integrity is understanding what your values are and mm-hmm. then making decisions that align, that align with, those with values. that value system. Yeah. Like showing up in the world in a way that aligns with those yeah. value systems. That's the practice piece. You're not always going to get it right, mm-hmm. but that's what we're striving towards, right? Yeah. And that, to me too, that's kind of like integrity because we're not talking about the easy decisions in life. So integrity to me is choosing courage over comfort. So we were talking about strange relationships that we've had in the past and how we maybe had to draw really strong boundaries with people in our lives that we were very close with and mm-hmm. that we love a lot. But if showing up in a relationship is going to violate that value system for you, then that's a tough decision to make, right? How do I yeah. approach that relationship? What, what decisions do I make around that relationship? You know, and like I was sharing with you, you can still t- turn towards that person and stay open to them. But if you have to draw some specific boundaries, you know, that are healthy for you, that allow you to walk and maintain your integrity, then that's just what you have to do. And that's that courage over comfort piece, right? It's choosing what's right over what's fun or fast or yeah. easy to do, right? It's, and it's hard. And sometimes boundaries just don't cut the mustard. Sometimes you just have to sever. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and like we were talking earlier, I, I use the term emotional equity. Think of it as an investment. And this goes into effort on my part. If the other party is not giving effort into the relationship, then as one of my values, dude, I'm sorry, I'm not getting out of this what I'm investing yeah. into it. 
and I'm out. Well, and I guarantee you, if, if you're listening to this podcast, you have toxic people in your life. And I know that when Alicia and I really started walking through this process, probably about 15 years ago, I don't know, does that make sense for how long we've been married? Probably not, but I was don't, told there would be no go back math. To the, yeah, go back was, to the previous episode. I was told there would be no math. Rule number one, um, never do math in public. You know, there were there were a lot of relationships that we severed because they just they just weren't good anymore. They, they, there wasn't any value added to it anymore. Not that they're bad people necessarily, but we just, we were moving in different directions and that's okay. So, so that's, those are, those are my overarching two. And that's kind of what I've been underneath each of them. Well, those are good. I'm not going to try to pick them apart like you did me, but you touched on a lot of good things in there. I think that balance is huge. And that's, that's been something that I've been putting a lot of effort to, and I have balances been under effort because I think it takes a tremendous amount of effort to try to find that balance. And when I talk about balance, I'm talking mind, body, soul, emotion, your relationships, all those things. They, they really have to be in concert with each other. And, you know, we all, we learned the analogy of the three-legged stool. And if one of those things, if one of your legs of your stool is out of balance, then the whole thing falls over. And I know, like you were talking about when you were just out of weapons school, going to be the weapons officer, and you're putting a whole lot of energy into this one thing, but the other pieces of your life are atrophying. Oh, yeah, well. You're out of whack. Your stool is out of balance, bro. And get get this right. That's after being gone for six months. Yeah, no, I know. Because I was at weapons school and... For those of you that don't know what weapon school is, it's, it sucks. Um, <laughs> it's awesome, but it completely sucks. But two things happen to guys at weapon school. They either come out of there looking like that they just came out of Auschwitz because they haven't had they have eaten Didn't for six eat, yeah. months and they've had so much stress for six months that they've lost a bunch yep. of weight. Or you look like Private Pile. Or you come out looking like <laughs> Private Pile. Yeah. I came out looking like Private Pile. Yeah. I gained like 20 pounds because, I mean, it was just because all you're eating Burger King and, you know, hitting the class six for a donut and coffee every morning. That's it. Cause yep. that's all you got time for. So yeah. standard fighter pilot diet was uh, a diet Coke, a Snickers bar yeah, a and Snickers a dip of skull. And, yep. and you can get through the day on that. Maybe that a handful of popcorn here and there, but yeah, and some jalapeno corn. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it, you know, <laughs> for the, for the young guys that are listening to this, just know that regardless of what you define really doesn't matter. Well, I mean, it does, it does matter, but it's so individualistic and it's so subjective that we can sit here and have discussions all day about this. But at the end of the day, you're going to have to work hard to figure this stuff out. And once you figure it out, then you still have to work hard to put these things into practice. And and your boy has the, what was it, the saying? It says, turn bullshit into behavior. Oh, yeah. Brene, so, Brene, yeah. Brene Brown talks about uh, taking values from bullshit to behavior. That's it. Well, that's taking your talk and putting it into walk. That's right. That's what it is. So can you walk the talk? At the end of the day, you say these things, but what are you doing to back that shit up. Yeah. Yeah. And and you'll know too, like I don't want to get too nerdy because I can get nerdy. Yeah. But, you know, when you make a decision and you can feel it in your your head, your body mm-hmm. or whatever, you're like, fuck, that was, that was the wrong decision. That's called cognitive dissonance. That's when you know you're stepping outside of your values. Mm. That's a big easy words. way to know exactly when you're stepping outside of your value system. Big words. I'm going to go back to, I'm going to go back to simple stuff because I'm a simple <laughs> guy, but. No, dude, that's a, gosh, what a, what a super cool conversation and, and uniquely different. Yeah. But still very much the same. Very similar. Very, very similar. You, you heard a lot of the same words. We may categorize them in different things. Like I had integrity under loyalty. 
because I think in under loyalty, there's so many things I can be loyal to my puppies. I can be loyal to my wife. I can be loyal to my job. I can be loyal to you, you know, loyal to the listeners. There's so many different things, but what does it really come down to? My personal integrity is, and my effort is, and my behaviors and, uh, and all these things, you know, I want to be sincere in my relationships. And I wasn't always like that. Yeah. I was, you know, I think, I think we can all probably look back in our life and find a time where we were maybe putting on a certain face for a, for a certain person. Sure. We were trying to tell somebody maybe something we thought they wanted to hear. Yeah, or we were know? trying to emulate somebody else yeah. who we thought was the shit, but yeah. that's they probably weren't. That's not necessarily being sincere and authentic and and integral to yourself. Yeah. You know, that's, that's putting up a fake front and basically bullshitting people because you think it'll, I don't know, put you on some kind of pedestal or make you look better in their light or, yeah. or something like that, so... All right, so wrapping up, what's the final step here? So we've we've defined them. Uh, you and I have given our examples. Now we're going to try to put them into practice. What's next, man? Yeah, that's it, man. I mean, so if you're listening to this and you have never gone through this exercise, I would really encourage you. It's a worthwhile exercise to go through and try to define these things for yourself because once you've kind of informed yourself about these things and you get your arms around it and you really realize those things that are important to you, that's what's going to allow you to start to make decisions, really good decisions that are aligned with that. doesn't mean they're going to be easy decisions. You're going to have some hard decisions in there as well, but they'll, be, they'll at least be aligned with who you are and how you're trying to show up with us in the world. And I can't emphasize enough, be kind to yourself in the process, be patient with yourself in the process. And it's not about perfection. It's just about trying to get better. So Try to do it because that's how you'll be able to align your actions, that practice piece, right? We talk about practicing integrity. You can't practice integrity if you haven't defined these things for yourself. It's going to be really difficult for you to do that. Um, And then for anybody out there that may be older, a father, a mentor, these are practical exercises that you can walk through people that you may be mentoring or children that you may have, age appropriate, of course. You know, you probably don't want to try to do this with a 12-year-old, but, you know, if you got a 22-year-old son or a 24-year-old son or an 18-year-old son, depending on their maturity level, this is a practical exercise that you can walk through with them and circle back. I've done this with my youngest son. I did it with him when he was probably about 15 or 16, and we kind of talked through values and stuff like that. And all through high school, there were times where he came back to me with a difficult decision to make around a friendship or a relationship or maybe even a team event in school or some kind of thing that was going on within a team dynamic at school mm-hmm. and understanding what he knew about his values allowed him to make some really good choices. And then we got to go after, and then after the fact, we kind of got to debrief and go, okay, yeah. well you showed up that way. How did that affect it? How did that change things? And it was all very positive. So you can definitely do this. Uh, if you're a mentor out there or a father with, yeah. with your children or, or the guys that you're mentoring or gals for that matter as well. That's, and that's the role that I've kind of, I've really enjoyed stepping into that role in the last few years uh, for my kids and for other people's kids and people that I, you know, kids that I coached and the handful of guys that I have under my wing right now that I'm just trying to, I'm trying to get you moving into the next phase of life, whatever that is for you, you know, and and maybe that phase has a different, maybe you, maybe you just view things differently in that phase based on your life circumstance. For sure. But um, having a conversation with some 18 year olds is going to be different than having a conversation with a 26 year old who has two kids. So it's, it's, it's kind of dependent on where you're at in life right now. Well, and that's so important too, right? Because one thing that you can do in this process, depending on kind of where you are on that maturity scale is go, okay, what do you think your value systems are right now? 
But then ask yourself if those work for you. Yeah. You know, is what I think I ascribe to working for me? Because it yeah. may not be. No, that's valid. Right? I mean, and then you can shift. You can kind yeah. of go through this exercise and figure out, okay, well, what really does resonate with me? And how do yeah. I really want to show up? Well, that'll be a good episode coming up on decision making and, you know, how to set a goal and then how to line the pieces up to make that goal. And at some point, it's just not good. Something's not going to be working. You're going to be banging your head on a wall. Dude, stop banging your head on the wall. Yeah. You know, go walk out the door instead, you know, kind of thing. So wrapping up, if I had to leave the listeners with a couple of things, I would say, well, I want to leave them. I want to leave them with one thing from, uh, from Tim Tebow, who I think is, although he played for the Florida Gators and at the time I despised him and I loved watching him cry on the sideline. He is a fantastic human being. He's very well-rounded. He does a lot of really good things for philanthropy and, and for young people and face a lot of adversity. He, he has. And, and I think that deep down, I think that he has and portrays a good set of personal values. I think he's a good dude, but he's still a competitor. Some of us are, and some of us aren't. I am, I tend to be very competitive. I like to tie my shoes better than the other guy. Like I get down to the details of that. And one of his, one of his quotes that I, have always, I've kept this in the back of my mind for a long time now. It says somewhere out there, he is training and I am not. And when we meet, he will win. And what does that translate to me? It translates to me in, this is a process that you always have to be trying to continually improve. And it takes a lot of effort it does. to do it. And, and that would be the two things that I would, that I would try to leave some people with is you have to put forth the effort to do these things. It, it's going to take a tremendous amount of calorie burning to get this stuff going and realize that it's a process. Yeah. It's a journey. It's not a destination. These things are going to change over time. Be patient with it. Be patient with yourself. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. So go do the work, you guys like that. That's what this is all about. It's, this is kind of the first step to being able to do all the other things that we're going to talk about. Cause if you don't understand this piece of yourself, the rest of it's going to be in some ways difficult to get your arms around. Parting shots? Negative. Be the one. Thanks for flying with the Be One Change One podcast. If you got something out of this show, then be the one and share it in your circles of influence. You can be our wingman through our website at www.b1changeone.com. That's B and the number one change in the number one dot com. We invite you to be the one and join our fighter squadron on social media at B One Change One on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. You can follow us at Paul Roscoe White on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, as well as Roscoe's website, www.paulroscoewhite.com. You can email us from the website and please leave comments, share, and ask questions, or leave ideas of things you would like to discuss on future podcasts. Most importantly, be the one that helps us win the algorithm by leaving a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Thanks for joining. Until next time, be the one.